Rush Limbaugh passes away to very, very large amounts of vitriol from people who hated him and a lot of praise from people who liked him. So we'll talk just a bit about that. A civil war heats up in the Democratic Party over whether or not we should have student loan forgiveness, how much it should be, and how it should be targeted. So we'll talk a bit about that. Cuomo is back in the hot seat after saying he'll destroy an assemblyman from New York City, New York State. So we'll talk a bit about what's going on there. And Ted Cruz, is he in the country or is he out of the country? We'll find out in just a second. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We've got some stuff to get to today. It's been an interesting day in the news. Very, very much so, especially given the passing of Rush Limbaugh yesterday. That was a, that was a bit of a blow, but I'll talk about that and some of the effect that the man has had on me, my life, and my broadcast life, too. I've never really agreed with the guy on quite a bit. I thought he was kind of a pompous ass, but on the other end of that, he really did pave the way for a lot of us in the alternative media to come up and make our way in the world. He made it okay for me to sit behind this golden microphone and tell the world what I thought. Otherwise, we would still be controlled by some of the big three. And I'm sure another pioneer might have come up somewhere in his stead, but he really was the first, and he paved the way. Maybe we wouldn't be this far in technology, but we'll get into all of that. We'll talk just a bit more about that, and we'll read some of the hate comments and, you know, some of the stuff coming back about the people having hate comments here. I've got a nice Daily Wire article to talk about that, but before we do any of that, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Pardon our dust, we still haven't finished building yet, but leave a bookmark on Freedom Scoop, and then you can come over once we're back up and check out my friends on great shows such as The Generation Gap. The Freckles and Brit Show, The R-Rated Conservative, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, and The Daily Ignoramus. Head on over there, pick up some of our swag, help us support great creators, and help us make a great website for you. We're looking for some writers right now, we're looking to build this out, so you can have all of your news from people who work for a living, who go out and hit the grind every day, rather than some rich people out there who decide what the narrative is and what they want you to think. So head on over there, get ready to pick up some of our swag and help us support great creators. All right, quick look at the Dow, which looks like it dropped right at the beginning like a stone. It climbed steadily throughout the day. It's a quarter of a percent back up, 90.27 points. But unfortunately, according to IBD and CNBC, it looks like we might be facing another down start. And we'll see where it goes throughout the rest of the day here. Looking on at Bitcoin which is sitting at 51,625 US dollars and 10 US cents. Maybe we should have picked up some Bitcoin not that long ago. And I mean, just like Doge, you throw 20 bucks in it and it tanks, you're out 20 bucks. I know people who are going out there taking out massive mortgages against their house who are going in and buying that. And that is driving some of the price up. But, you know, once you put yourself into debt to go out and buy Bitcoin, once the bottom goes back and drops back out, you're left holding the bag. So I'm not going to give you financial advice, but I'm seeing a trend here. 
but we're sitting at that point where it's you either jump on it because you're risky or you jump back off of it because you're risk averse. But it could go either way once it's getting up to the point where it's 51,000 US dollars a coin. And, well, inflation's only going to go one direction here. So something definitely to watch. I might throw another 20 bucks into this just to, just to say I was there again to see what happens with it. I'm probably not going to make a bunch of money off of it, but, you know, you throw 20 bucks and there you are. All right, let's see what IBD has to say, though. Dow Jones futures fall, signal stock market losses, Tesla cuts prices again, Twilio Tilray key earnings movers from Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures fell Thursday morning along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures. Tesla stock fell on new price cuts Thursday, signaling another test of key levels. Walmart, Twilio, Tilray, and Fastly were key earnings movers. The stock market rally had a mixed session Wednesday, with the Dow Jones hitting record highs while many growth names struggled. Though they paired losses, Tesla rebounded Wednesday from key support as ARK Fund's Kathy Woods said she'd been buying more Tesla stock as our confidence in Tesla has grown. But overnight, Tesla announced price cuts for its base Model 3 and Model Y in the U.S., along with sharp price cuts in Japan. Price cuts have been common for Tesla in a sign of weakening demand. Tesla stock fell modestly early Thursday back towards key levels. Now, I can't confirm this because I've never researched this, but, I mean, Tesla, I mean, it's a cool thing to get. But now GM's getting ready to go out and roll out an all-electric lineup, and we're not going to have any fossil fuels by, what the fuck did they say, 2035 or whatever? We're not going to run any fossil fuels in anything, which, I'm sorry, good luck with that. And Ford is coming out, and they're doing a more EV line. I think they're doing more hybrid, but uh, they've got uh, EV lines coming out. Nissan's got it coming out here. Toyota's got more of it coming out. And all of these companies can mass produce. They can just roll them down the line and bolt on pieces by robot or by man as they and pump, what is it, 50 of them out a day, if need be. And as far as I know, Tesla's still making their cars by hand. It's a bunch of guys standing around putting the thing together one at a time. And people are waiting months for their Tesla. So I don't know where Elon Musk is going to go forward off of this. Now, I may go out and confirm this and find out that it's completely wrong. And yes, they're actually running them down an assembly line too. But as far as I know, people are building them by hand. And people are waiting months to get their hands on these things. So I don't know how that goes as a business model. But we will see, I guess. I mean, Elon Musk. He's pretty fucking rich, so he must know something of what he's doing. Apple closed below support on Wednesday and kept sliding before Thursday's open. Meanwhile, communications software maker Twilio, Canadian pot producer Tilray, Edge networking leader Fastly, Chinese search giant Baidu, genomics tools maker 10x Genomics, fertilizer specialist Mosaic, lithium miner Albert Marley, and chip designer software maker Synopsys were key earnings late Wednesday. Twilio stock was a big winner overnight, while Mosaic rose modestly and Tilray paired overnight gains. ALB stock, Baidu, and Synopsys fell slightly. Walmart and Fastly stock retreated solidly, while TXG stock was not active. On the futures, Dow Jones futures fell 0.4% versus fair value. S&P 500 futures sank 0.4%. NASDAQ 100 futures retreated 0.7%. With Apple and Tesla weighing on tech futures, 
The Bitcoin price surged above 52000 on Wednesday, a day after topping 50000 for the first time. Bitcoin traded below 52000 early Thursday. ARK Funds Wood, who was trying to buy Bitcoin-related plays, said the cryptocurrency could hit 200000 if more corporations join Tesla in buying Bitcoin. And, of course, if the Federal Reserve continues to pump money out into the system without having any GDP or gold to back it. So, we will see what happens there. Let's keep going here. I got one from CNBC. Dow rises, another record, led by Verizon and Chevron, but tech weakness weighs on S&P 500 from Yoon Lee and Pippa Stevens. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose in volatile trading on Wednesday to hit another record close, boosted by a jump in Verizon and Chevron shares. The blue chip Dow erased a 180-point loss and ended the day 90.27 points higher, or 0.3%, to 31.613.02. The S&P 500 dipped less than 0.1% to 39.3130, however, amid a 1% decline in the technology se uh, sector. The Nasdaq Composite fell 0.6% to 13.965.49 as Apple dropped 1.8%. Dow member Verizon was among the biggest gainers after Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway revealed a sizable stake in the telecom giant. The shares climbed 5.2% after the latest filling showed Berkshire bought more than $8 billion worth of the stock in the fourth quarter, making Verizon one of the conglomerate's top six largest holdings. Chevron jumped 3% as gas prices went up and Berkshire revealed a large stake in the energy company because there's a Democrat in office, gas prices are going to go up. The S&P 500 paired losses after the minutes of last Federal Reserve meeting signaled that easy monetary policy will be in place for longer as the economy is nowhere close to pre-pandemic levels. <clears throat> Participants noted that the economic conditions were currently far from the committee's longer-run goals and that the stance for policy would need to remain accommodative until the goals were achieved, the minutes stated. For traders worried about Fed's tapering, the central bank said its bond-buying program would continue, at least at the current pace, until substantial further progress towards their dual mandate, according to the minutes. Investors also weighed improving economic data with rising inflation expectations. Retail sales surged 5.3% in January, blowing past a Dow Jones estimate of a 1.2% rise. The jump in consumer uh, spending could further fuel inflation expectations, which have already pushed bond yields significantly higher recently. Signs of a pickup in pricing pressures already emerged as the economy rebounds from the pandemic-induced recession amid historical fiscal and monetary stimulus. The Labor Department said Wednesday that the producer price index, a measure of the prices businesses receive for their goods and services, rose 1.3% in January, the biggest jump since the index began in December of 2009. So, retail is up, people are going out and buying stuff here. People are starting to ignore the lockdowns, which is good, but we will see what happens with all of this here. We've got to keep going and get into the big news of the day. From Fox News to start the day, Rush Limbaugh, conservative talk radio pioneer, dead at 70. From Brian Flood. 
Rush Limbaugh, the monumentally influential media icon who transformed talk radio and politics in his decades behind the microphone, helping shape the modern-day Republican Party, died Wednesday morning at the age of 70 after a battle with lung cancer, his family announced. Limbaugh's wife Catherine made the announcement on his radio show, Losing a loved one is terribly difficult, even more so when that loved one is larger than life, she said. Rush will be forever the greatest of all time. The radio icon learned that he had stage 4 lung cancer in January of 2020 and was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by then-President Trump at the State of the Union Address. Days later, First Lady Melania Trump then presented the American's highest civilian honor to Limbaugh in an emotional moment on the heels of his devastating cancer diagnosis. Rush Limbaugh, thank you for decades of tireless devotion to our country, President Trump said during the address. He told Fox News Wednesday afternoon, There aren't too many legends around, but he is a legend. It was not clear exactly where Limbaugh died. He frequently broadcasts a show from his home studio in Palm Beach, Florida. Limbaugh is considered one of the most influential media figures in American history and has played a consequential role in conservative politics since. The Rush Limbaugh show began in 1988. Perched behind his golden EIB, Excellence in broadcasting microphone, Limbaugh spent th over three decades as arguably both the most beloved and polarizing person in American media. The program that began 33 years ago on national syndication with only 56 radio stations grew to be the most listened to radio show in the U.S., airing on more than 600 stations according to the show's website. Up to 27 million people tuned in on a weekly basis, and Limbaugh has lovingly referred to his passionate fan base as Ditto Heads, as they would often say Ditto when agreeing with the iconic radio host. In his final radio broadcast of 2020, Limbaugh thanked his listeners and supporters, revealing at the time that he had outlived his prognosis. I wasn't expected to be alive today, he said. I wasn't expected to make it to October, and then to November, and then to December, and yet here I am. And today, got some problems, but I'm feeling pretty good today. Behind my formerly nicotine-stained fingers. Limbaugh helped boost Trump's influence prior to the 2016 election simply by taking him seriously as a candidate when other established conservatives didn't want the former reality television star anywhere near the Republican Party. Many of Limbaugh's listeners eventually became Trump supporters, and the radio legend continued to defend Trump throughout his presidency, despite occasional disagreements. In the heat of the 2020 presidential election, Limbaugh hosted Trump in October for what was an unprecedented two-hour radio rally, during which the president was virtually given control of the coveted golden microphone to answer questions from the host and listeners. Limbaugh, born in Cape Girardeau, Missouri on January 12, 1951, began his radio career in 1967 as a helper when he was only 16 years old. He eventually graduated to disc jockey and worked at a small station roughly 100 miles south of St. Louis while attending high school. I was totally consumed, Limbaugh told the New York Times back in 1990, noting that his idol was a Chicago radio host named Larry Lujak. By 1971, Limbaugh was a morning radio host in Pittsburgh, where he was oddly told to cover a certain amount of farm news because the area was surrounded by many agricultural communities. In 2007, he explained to listeners how the young radio host managed to keep listeners despite the bizarre requirement. The last thing the audience of my show cares about is farm news. 
If farm news came on, bam, they push the button and go somewhere else. So we had to figure out, okay, how do we do this and protect the license? So I turned the farm news every day into a funny bit with farm sound effects and roosters growing and so forth. And I'd make fun of the stockyard feed prices or whatever it was, so that we could say we're doing farm news, agriculture news. There was all kinds of things like that, Limbaugh told listeners. The article, of course, is goes on because it's a very, very in-memoriam style article. We're not going to go through the entire thing, but just, and honestly, you know, I sit behind this same golden microphone, which I chose a gold microphone just so I could say the golden EBP microphone, that's Blog Productions microphone, because I was inspired partially by Limbaugh. And I've not always agreed with him. I mean, I came out of a union household. I was told from a very young age that Limbaugh was a demon, he was the devil, and he needed to be taken off the radio. But I actually took some time, listened, sometimes enjoyed the program, sometimes called the people who listen to the program irritating sheep, especially the callers, because sometimes they acted like that. I have called Limbaugh a sheep leading his, uh, shepherd rather, leading his sheep to slaughter. But I cannot sit back here and deny for a second that without Limbaugh at the helm, this program probably wouldn't exist. The Daily Wire probably wouldn't exist. Louder with Crowder probably wouldn't exist. The Matt and Blonde Show probably wouldn't exist. There's a lot. <clears throat> There's a lot of stuff out there that probably wouldn't be here today had it not been for Limbaugh coming up and taking a stand against what the narrative was coming out of the mainstreams. Because he really did that more than anything else. You don't have to agree with a guy to recognize the influence that he had in talk radio, political talk radio especially. Before him, you towed the line that NBC told you to tow, or you were off the air. So, there's a lot to unpack with the fact that he's gone. Um, I've got to keep going. I've really got to keep going on this, because I've got to honor the memory of somebody who, once again, in spite of the fact that I disagreed with him a lot, still made it okay for me to sit behind this microphone and have this conversation. So, mega dittos to Rush, and... Big F's in the chat for Limbaugh. I hope his family can recover quickly. I know it's a devastating loss. I hope his listeners can recover quickly. And this country can move on. So, let's talk a bit about some of the insults that came out of this, though. Uh, I've got one from blue check mark Tony Pusnaski. Rush Limbaugh was a horrible human with zero honorable qualities. The right can go fuck themselves with their love for him. Fuck him and fuck them. 2021 is a better place without him. You remember all the blue-checked right-wing people who said that same thing about Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Me either. Got another one here from Andy Ostroy. Hashtag Rush Limbaugh was a sexist, racist pig. His death doesn't change that. Classy, people. Very, very classy. And once again, I mean, when we see... I, do you think that we're going to see a lot of the same stuff when Joe Biden kicks off in the middle of the office? Well, 
We are going to see some of it, don't get me wrong, because I've seen some of the vitriol and hatred that goes to Biden as it sits. But it's not going to be the biggest voices in media that are doing it. It's definitely not going to be people who are blue check marked over on Twitter that are going to be the ones doing it. Yes, there are going to be some people out there who are, Mon, my, I got Meg in my, in my Twitter handle here, so I think that Joe Biden, I think we need to celebrate Joe Biden's death. That's the part that's going to get clipped out of this program, by the way. We're going to see a lot of that from people with WWG1, WWGA, or WGA, not WWGA. We're going to see a lot of that from people with that in their profile and seven followers. But for the most part, no, it's not going to be our biggest voices. Like it is on the other side. Let's see what the Daily Wire has to say about this. And then we'll get into the other news. <clears throat> Rest in piss. Twitter lets mocking hashtags trend following Rush Limbaugh's death as leftists cheer. And once again, you know, you just know that if this was about, well, Ginsburg first off, because I'm sure that they started to go up and trend and Twitter shut that shit down in a hurry. But you know if it was Ginsburg or Biden or Pelosi or someone else like that, they'd be shutting that shit down right fucking now. But this is from Ryan Saavedra. Twitter allowed mocking phrases and hashtags to trend on Wednesday following the death of conservative radio icon Rush Limbaugh, who lost his battle with cancer as leftists cheered. We, the Limbaugh family, are deeply saddened to announce that our beloved Rush has died, Limbaugh's wife, Catherine Adams Limbaugh, said in a post on her husband's Facebook account. Rush Hudson Limbaugh III will forever be the greatest of all time. A courageous, brilliant, gentle giant and radio pioneer, our entire family is so thankful to everyone who prayed and cared for Rush, especially the audience he adored. Rush's love for our country and for all of you will live on eternally. Shortly following the news of Limbaugh's passing, Twitter announced phrases like good riddance, rotten hell, and rest in piss to trend on Twitter. This is from Andrew Sarabian. Rush Limbaugh passes away from cancer and Twitter lefties decide to trend this. Such nice people. AIDS update. Classier by the second. Uh, Caleb Hull, Rotten Hell is what Twitter decided to put right below the Rush Limbaugh trend. While those outside the hard left either simply posted information on Limbaugh's passing or remembered his life with kind words, those inside the hard left cheered and attacked him following his death. Rush Limbaugh was a coward and a white supremacist. He aggressively and cynically exploited divisions in our country by weaponizing hatred and bigotry for his own personal gain. He was in service to his own greed, prejudice, and hypocrisy, and that is how history will remember him, far-left activist Charlotte Clymer wrote on Twitter. If Rush Limbaugh deserves credit for anything, it is pioneering work in spreading disinformation and directly enabling our nation's current state of vast distrust of experts and spurning of good faith in the public discourse. He will not be missed by rational adults. Anti-Second Amendment activist Cameron Kasky wrote, Rush Limbaugh has passed on, but worry not, his memory lives on through bigots everywhere. Which I also pointed out yesterday, because I saw a lot of shit from Cameron Kasky yesterday. That I think people have realized that nobody gives two flying fucks about David Hogg anymore, so that's now why they're promoting the other idiot from Parkland. <clears throat> Whether you loved him or hated him, and there are very few people in between, Rush Limbaugh was indisputably a force of historic proportions. CNN commentator David Axelrod wrote, 
Over the past three decades, he did as much to polarize our politics as anyone and laid the groundwork for Trump and Trumpism. Yale Law School professor Scott Shapiro wrote on Twitter, I wouldn't say I was happy Rush Limbaugh died, it was more like euphoria. Shapiro later set his account to private following the backlash he received online. But no worries, Jack Posobiec screen grabbed it. Media Matters blogger Parker Malloy wrote, My sincerest condolences go to Hell's other residents, who now have to deal with being associated with him. Yeah, um, Twitter was fucking nasty yesterday. Twitter was nasty. And of course, we gotta get one from Chenk, because he's Chenk fucking Uger. The idea that you, say, that you say artificially nice things about people after they die is weird. Google it. I've never understood the logic of it. Rush Limbaugh was a terrible person while he was alive. He made a living by attacking the powerless. Pot kettle, Chenk. His death does not in any way change or redeem that. Google it. So, that is what we saw around Twitter yesterday. And it was hard to not leave this for the end of the show because this is also Thursday, so this is thing that I like and thing that I hate day, but man, oh man, here we are. Google it! All right, let's keep going here because we got a bunch of other stuff to get to today. All right, from Twitter, Elizabeth Warren, President Biden has the authority to cancel 50000 of student loan debt. Senator Schumer and I are urging him to act. Here's our statement. Presidents Obama and Trump used their executive authority to cancel student loan debt, the Biden administration. Wait, 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 wait. Back the fuck up. If they used their executive authority to cancel student loan debt then why is there still student loan debt? Something doesn't fucking math here, folks. The Biden administration has said it is reviewing options for canceling up to $50,000 in student debt by executive action, and we are confident that they will agree with the standards Obama and Trump used as well as leading legal experts who have concluded that the administration has a broad authority to immediately deliver much-needed relief to the millions of Americans an ocean of student loan debt is holding back 43 million borrowers and disproportionately weighing down black and brown Americans. Well, there you go. They got the race into it, too. Canceling $50,000 in federal student loan debt will help close the racial wealth gap, benefit the 40% of borrowers who do not have a college degree, and help stimulate the economy. It's time to act. We will keep fighting. So once again... If you canceled it, why the fuck is it still there? Let's see what the Hill has to say on this one. Please allow ads on our site. No. Schumer, Warren pushed for $50,000 in student loan debt cancellation after Biden balks from Tal Axelrod. Senate Majority Leader Charles U. Schumer and Senate, uh, Senator, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren are pressing President Biden to use his executive power to cancel $50,000 per borrower in student debt after he balked at the idea in a Tuesday town hall. 
An ocean of student loan debt is holding back 43 million borrowers and disproportionately weighing down black and brown Americans. Canceling $50,000 in federal student loan debt will help close the racial wealth gap, benefit the 40% of borrowers who do not have a college degree, and help stimulate the economy. It's time to act. We will keep fighting. Warren and Schumer said in a joint statement on Wednesday, the Senate Democrats have been outspoken advocates for the cancellation, repeatedly pushing Biden to agree and in introducing legislation earlier this month calling on him to forgive up to $50,000 in federally held student debt. That bill is not legally binding, but it would represent a formal congressional endorsement of the idea. Yeah, we're sitting here wondering what's going to happen with the relief that so many of your constituents desperately want and I desperately don't want. And we're wasting time on a bill that's little more than an endorsement. This is your government at work, people. The renewed pressure campaign comes a day after Biden balked at forgiving that amount of student debt, saying he does not have the power to do so by executive action. I do think, in this moment of economic pain and strain, that we should be eliminating interest on the debts that are accumulated. Number one and number two, I'm prepared to write off $10,000 of debt, but not 50000 Biden told voters in Wisconsin, saying he doesn't believe it can be done with presidential action. The White House has previously said the Office of Legal Counsel was reviewing whether the president could unilaterally cancel federal student loan debt and that he would sign legislation for giving $10,000 of student loan debt if Congress passed a bill. Well, unfortunately, you blew your wad on budget reconciliation, so that's going to be gone. They blew that shit right back up out of the water, so they can't do that. So that's going to require a filibuster-proof majority, and there are enough Republicans in the Senate that realize that this is going to print us into fucking oblivion. And thankfully, right now, there's a Democrat in the White House, so they actually care about the national debt. They can't do anything about it, but they actually give a fuck about it. So... That's what they're trying to do here. And, you know, I just, I made a solo video last night talking about student loan debt and my proposal of what I would do if I was the president to get the crisis back under control. Spoiler alert, it's not forgiving it. But I found three big planks that could probably reduce the amount and get people back in to the point where they could manage it or put it off into something else. And then once again, it would be on the decision-making of millennials, which means we'd probably be back in this in five or six years, but hey, we'd have a shot and get some people back up out of it. Let's keep going. From CNN, reparations for slavery could have reduced COVID-19 transmission and deaths in the U.S. Harvard study finds from Scotty Andrew. COVID-19 is disproportionately sickening and killing black Americans, the result of centuries of structural racism, a group of Harvard researchers says. We could end this article at this and get the same amount of substance as we would get from the article, but I'm genuinely uh, curious as to what they found. Let's keep going. If the U.S. had paid reparations to descendants of black Americans who were enslaved, Though the risk of severe illness and death from the virus would be far lower, according to, according to a new peer-reviewed study by researchers. 
the group of researchers from Harvard Medical School and the Lancet Commission on Reparations and Redistributive Justice examined how reparation payments made before the pandemic would have affected Louisiana, a state that remained segregated in parts, and found that the payments could have reduced coronavirus transmission in the state anywhere between 31 and 68 percent. As the U.S. approaches one year of living with COVID-19, black Americans and other groups, including Hispanic and Native Americans, are as much as four times more likely to be hospitalized than white Americans, data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows. The researchers' latest findings highlight the importance of the pandemic strategy that considers the racial gap in COVID-19 exposure and transmission, the researchers said. The effects of racial justice interventions on black-white health disparities are rarely investigated, which forms part of how systemic racism is reproduced. Study author Dr. Eugene Richardson, an assistant professor at the Global Health and Social Medicine at Harvard Medical School, told CNN in an email. Our study simply gives yet another example of how racism gets into people's bodies and makes them sick, which can be added to this litany of evidence for reparations. Wow. 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 I can't believe this exists. Ah. I have no words. We've got to keep going. From Fox News. Come on, scroll up. There you go. FBI, U.S. Attorney, investigating New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, Administration, Handling of Nursing Home Crisis, report from Thomas Barabi. The FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn have begun an investigation into how New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's administration handled the state's nursing home crisis during the coronavirus pandemic, according to a report on Wednesday. The investigation is not yet far along and is focused on top members of Cuomo's coronavirus task force. The Albany Times Union reported, citing a source with direct knowledge of the matter, neither Cuomo nor any administration official has at this point been accused of any wrongdoing. Members of Cuomo's task force include New York State Health Commissioner Howard Zucker and Secretary to the Governor Melissa De Rosa. The latter drew scrutiny this month after she seemingly admitted the governor's team withheld information related to COVID-19-related deaths at nursing homes. As we publicly said, the DOJ has been looking into this for months. We have been cooperating with them and will continue to do so, Cuomo senior advisor Rich Azapardi said in a statement. It is not clear whether as a party statement refers to the Brooklyn U.S. Attorney's probe, which the Times Union describes as in its early stages as a party statement, did not specify whether Cuomo's office was in touch with the FBI or U.S. Attorney officials regarding a fresh investigation. A spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn told the Times Union he could neither confirm nor deny that an investigation was underway. Cuomo has faced bipartisan scrutiny over his handling of nursing home crisis, but remember, he won an Emmy. Just remember that, he won an Emmy. Critics have focused on Cuomo's March 25th memo directing nursing homes to accept recovering COVID-19 patients at their facilities. The order was later rescinded, and I don't know how many times I've talked about Cuomo at this point before I realized, and I heard it on another podcast, I completely forgot that they took that ship they docked that ship in the New York Harbor. 
so that they could have regular hospital operations and still not overflow the hospitals. So the people who needed regular hospital operations, like, you know, a colonoscopy or something like that, could go on the ship and get treated there, and they could pack the COVID-19 people into the hospital so they wouldn't overcrowd. And yet, the whole thing seemed to be about overcrowding, and the uh, ship docked in the uh, harbor never got used. I just realized that the other day, and nobody sees a problem with any of this. So, there we go. Speaking of Cuomo's, speaking of things named Cuomo, from the New York Post, CNN says it reinstated a ban on Chris Cuomo covering his brother, Governor Cuomo. From Ben Fewerherd and Bruce Golding. CNN claimed on Wednesday that it has reinstated a rule that prevents Chris Cuomo from interviewing or covering his brother after the host completely ignored the nursing home death cover-up scandal engulfing Governor Andrew Cuomo. Last year, Chris Cuomo repeatedly interviewed his older brother about the coronavirus pandemic, engaging in often cringy banter that initially helped boost the ratings for the 9 p.m. Cuomo primetime. But the controversy over the Cuomo administration, admitted uh, cover-up of nursing home death numbers, exclusively revealed by the Post last week, hasn't been mentioned on Chris's hour-long show. That's despite coverage on other CNN shows, including Sunday's State of the Union, on which host Jake Tapper criticized the state health department since rescinded March 25th directive for nursing homes to admit COVID-19 patients. So Governor Cuomo, who has declined to appear on the show despite dozens of requests over the past year, including this past week, made a bad decision that may have cost lives, Tapper said. Well, look, hey, I, I got this giant Q-tip here for my, for my brother's giant nose, okay? So, and I mean, you probably should have done that from the start. But, you know, the media and government all working together and being related to each other, that's nothing new. So we'll talk just a bit more about that. I got another one on Cuomo's here from CNN. Cuomo said he can destroy me. New York Assemblyman alleges governor threatened him over nursing home scandal from MJ Lee and Mark Morales. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has been pleading with lawmakers for support and even threatening political retribution against Democrats who have criticized him in an aggressive effort to contain political fallout from revelations that his administration had concealed the full extent of nursing home-related deaths during the COVID pandemic. <clears throat> Describing an alleged exchange with the governor that has not previously been reported, the Democratic Assemblyman Ron Kim told CNN he received a call on his cell phone from the governor last week as he was bathing his children at the time. Governor Cuomo called me directly on Thursday to threaten my career if I did not cover up for Melissa DeRosa and what she said. He tried to pressure me into uh, issue a statement, and I was very traumatizing. Experience, Kim said. Cuomo proceeded to tell the assemblyman that we're in this business together, and we don't cross certain lines. And he said that I hadn't seen his wrath, and he could destroy me, according to Cuomo's advisor denied the government threatened to destroy Kim. DeRosa is a top aide to the governor who came under fire last week after she told state lawmakers in a private virtual meeting that the state had delayed in sharing with the legislature the full scope of the COVID-related death toll of New York's nursing home residents because of concerns about potential federal investigation by the Department of Justice. The governor's office has since released a partial transcript of the call. Hey, hey, you do what I say or I'll destroy you, okay? You'll be sleeping with the fishes. So, that's... 
Great news coming back out of New York. I got a, one here from Yahoo News, then a tweet, and then another one here from Yahoo News. Start here. Biden says some in minority communities don't know how to get online to get in line for the COVID-19 vaccine. Hey guys, you remember the voter ID argument where apparently people in the minority uh, community are too stupid to get an ID so they can go to vote? And Jared Holt, that's not me coming out and saying that directly. That's what it seems that people who are against voter ID believe. But uh, yeah, you remember that? Yeah, this is worse. I've got uh, no author given. And I've got no article here. GOP Representative Byron uh, Donalds calls the president's comments on a CNN town hall ridiculous and disgusting. Oh, looks like we've got video. Huh. That's why I'm not uh, getting in the article here. I guess let's have a listen. American community know how somebody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African American community, know how to use, know how to get online to determine how to get in line for that COVID vaccination. President Joe Biden stumbles while weighing in on minority communities' access to COVID-19 vaccinations at a CNN town hall. Here to react, Florida Congressman Byron Donalds. Congressman, thanks for being here. Do you know what Joe Biden was trying to say there? And if so, what is he trying to say? I never have any idea of what Joe Biden is actually trying to say. <laughs> Listen, here's the reality. It's clear that, again, the president just sees it that, you know, black people or brown people simply don't have the same abilities to get on the Internet or we don't know how. That's just simply not true. Um, we figure it out all the time. We know how to get things done for our lives and for our families. Uh, so once again, this is the president putting his foot in his mouth again when it comes to people of color. Yeah, that's not news, and that's going to continue to happen until he gets 25th Amendment and bat the fuck out. <clears throat> that's awesome. Uh, I've got one from Pasaki here, uh, from Breaking 911 News, White House Press uh, Secretary. The lovely ginger says coal and natural gas caused power grid failure in Texas. Let's have a listen to that. I will say that there has been some uh, inaccurate accusations out there. I'm not sure if former Secretary uh, Perry made these, but uh, that it was the fit that, that suggested um, that uh, renewables caused failures um, in Texas's power grid. And actually, numerous reports have actually shown the contrary, that it was failures in coal and natural gas that contributed to the state's power shortages. And officials at the electric Reliability Council of Texas, which operates the state's power grid, have gone so far as to say that failures in wind and solar were the least significant factors. Wow, they're still trying to come. This has become the most partisan failure of a power grid ever. And that's saying something, because we sat back and argued about California for five fucking months last summer. All in all, on all of this, power grid failure in Texas had more to do with infrastructure than the type of fuel that was used, whether it be wind and solar or coal and gas. It was the way that it gets piped into your home, the way that it gets from whatever station it comes from, to you, the final consumer, who needs to be warm right now. So stop your fucking bickering over what the fuel was 
and stop trying to play your partisan games over this here and get the relief out to people, get the power lines fixed and everything else. And try to worry about the people for once instead of your own fucking political careers. All right, let's keep going. Speaking of Texas, Rick Perry suggests Texans prefer blackouts to federal energy regulation from Catherine Krosick. Rick Perry once wanted to get rid of the U.S. Department of Energy. Now he's apparently fine with temporarily ridding Texas of energy altogether. As the former Republican governor of Texas and energy secretary under President Donald Trump, Perry had a lot to say about the state's ongoing blackouts amid an unprecedented winter storm. But even as it becomes clear Texas's energy system needs a major overhaul, not really. Perry said Texans would rather remain in the dark if it meant keeping the federal government out, he told House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's office in a blog post published on Wednesday. Yeah. You want to turn your state blue by getting people in your state that pissed off with the Republican Party? That was probably the way to do it. Perry, like other conservatives, blamed Texas's renewable energy sources for the outages and alleged the Biden administration's focus on decreasing fossil fuel dependence would make this happen again. Perry did note that natural gas supplies most of Texas's power, not solar and wind, but still claimed Texas would refuse to adopt more of those renewable sources no matter how heavily the federal government subsidizes them. Texans would be without electricity for longer than three days to keep the federal government out of their business, Perry said. Try not to let whatever the crisis of the day is to take your eye off having great resilient grid that keeps Americans safe personally, economically, and strategically. Wow. Wow. If you want to make your state blue, this is the way to make your state blue. Good job on that one. Because the soccer mom, and I constantly go back to the soccer mom, the white suburban middle-of-the-road soccer mom that just wants to make sure that her kids are safe, that is boiling water currently and leaving her faucet drip, and wants the safety out there, that pays the taxes, that pays the Homeowners Association, that pays all these different organizations to make sure that her little soccer players are safe. That's not going to play well to somebody like that. Texas does not need a major overhaul of its grid. I can tell you that as well. Yes, we could probably put some more safeguards into place and a backup plan in case it ever does get cold like this again, but we're not going to see something like this, most likely. And I have no crystal ball, I can't say this for sure, but statistically, most likely, we're not going to see something like this out of Texas again for another hundred years. Possibly longer, possibly shorter. I've got no crystal ball. I don't, I don't practice Santeria. What the hell are you talking about? But statistically, going back through the Almanac and years past, it is going to be a long, 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 long time before we see this in Texas like this again. So, on that, let's get some aid out to our friends in Texas, if we can, if they need it. Get them back out, get them warmed up, possibly bring them back into a place, you know, Maybe some of us have to go down and get some of them and get them back to a place where our power grids are designed to handle cold temperatures to get them warmed up, ready to go. But 
you know, coming out here and saying, well, all our people down here in Texas, we don't want no federal government assistance, so we're just going to sit in the dark. That's probably not the way to do it. <clears throat> all right, let's keep going. I got just a couple more here. GOP consultant calls Haley the party's 2024 frontrunner. No! 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 From Zach Butrick. Republican consultant Alex Castellanos said in a new interview that former ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, who dramatically broke with former President Trump last week, has the best shot at the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. I think Nikki Haley is the frontrunner, and it's going to be very hard to stop her, Castellanos told Ozzy co-founder and CEO Carlos Watson. I think she's underestimated. In a clip from the Carlos Watson show provided exclusively to The Hill, Castellanos went on to say that the politicians in Washington dismissed the former South Carolina governor as not really a heavyweight candidate, but that she's the real deal and the horse to beat. She's a bush in a fucking dress is what she is. Hey, hey, you kids. Hey, hey, come over here to the army recruiting desk. Hey, hey, you guys like video games? Hey, there's some oil over there. and You can play a real life video game going over there to get that. Don't you guys like Call of Duty? As bad, Biden, uh, bad as fucking Biden is on, uh, on foreign policy and warmongering. Nikki Haley is worse. Oh. Well, I hope you guys like war, because that's going to be what's coming if this is any indication, but it's also 2021. We still have a midterm to get through to see where the country is tracking before we start deciding how we want to set the presidency in 2024. Hell, I might even run 2,000 YouTube subscribers and I'll at least put my hat in the ring. I probably won't get anywhere, but I'll put my hat in the ring. All right, let's keep going here. From The Verge, Facebook will block Australian users and publishers from sharing news links in response to new bill. From Nick Stat. Facebook has decided to block both Australian users and media companies from sharing links to news articles and related content on its main social network following the country's proposed landmark regulatory measure that would force tech giants to pay Australian news organizations for using their content. People still use Facebook. I mean, I guess I can't complain because my co-host's fan page has caused a lot of the growth in our listening audience throughout the last few weeks, but still, I, I can't believe people are still using BoomerBook. I really can't. That's That blows my mind. But, hey... They don't want you to get news anymore, so they just want you to go back and start bitching about your neighbors and snitching on them instead. So, that's only in Australia, but if they're going to do it there, it's probably going to come up here at some point as well. Although, it might not, because Facebook is making a bunch of money off people making numerous posts complaining about one side of the government or the other. So, that actually might not happen. All right. And that's it for the news today, but I've got a thing that I like and a thing that I hate, and then we're going to head on out of here. And both of those happen to come on news articles here, so let's get into that. First thing, thing that I like today. 
comes to us from the Daily Wire. Daily Beast contributing editor accuses Tucker of adding googly eyes to AOC photo. Apologize and acknowledges that it's real. <laughs> I laughed so hard when I read this start when I read this headline for the first time. I laughed so hard. That was hilarious. I haven't even read this article. I just read that headline and knew that we had to go and talk about this. This is clown world right here, folks. I'm going to read that again for you guys. Daily Beast contributing editor accuses Tucker of adding googly eyes to AOC photo, apologizes and acknowledges it's real. <laughs> From Amanda Presta Giacomo. Daily Beast contributing editor Justin Barragona accused Fox News host Tucker Carlson's team of doctoring a photo of Democratic representative the Honorable Venerable Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez D. Twitch for a segment on Carlson's Wednesday night show. So it appears that Tucker's producers added googly eyes to AOC in this image. Barragona posted capturing the image of Miss Ocasio-Cortez featured on the show. The photo, however, was not doctored and appears to be a screenshot of AOC taken in May of 2018. In the latest, uh, the contributing editor acknowledged. Barragona deleted the post and admitted his error hours later. Taking down this tweet as the image of AOC has been out there since at least May of 2018, he wrote. There's the tweet right there. So it appears that Tucker's producers added googly eyes to AOC in this image. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> In another post, Barragona wrote, Every day you log into Twitter, you hope to get through it without being it. Tonight, I was it. I absolutely deserve to be. Word of advice, if you don't want to be it, then make sure you don't send out factually inaccurate tweets that can be easily verified and debunked, he added. <laughs> oh, I love this. Ah. <sighs> That was great. I needed that. All right. Now let's do a thing that I hate and head on out of here. First a tweet and then the article that goes with it. So a uh, tweet comes out today. Keith Edwards tweets out, Okay, at first I didn't think it was Ted Cruz, but this person has the same mask as the senator. Did Ted Cruz fly to Cancun today during the, st uh, the state's emergency? Now, same mask, kind of a similar hairstyle. I don't think it's the same hairstyle, but uh, same mask. We can definitely say that. This is a retweet off of Juan Gomez that says, While well, Senator Cruz is flying to Cancun, while millions of Texans do not have electricity, hashtag priorities, hashtag thanks for nothing, Senator, at Project Lincoln, at Keith Edwards, at Shannon R. Watts. Um, there's a blonde woman circled. These were taken at 4, 10 p.m. today per the screenshot. The flight was at 4.45 p.m. coming out of Houston. Um, this one's different hairlines, different hair color pattern, different jawline, different facial hair pattern, different brow bone. It's not him. Um, I mean, even if it is him too, I don't have any evidence right now that, uh, this is happening today. Now, if it is, then possibly we need to be shunning Ted Cruz, but, uh, 
Let's see what Newsweek has to say on this, because that's what's thrown the most doubt into me. And Newsweek is not a Ted Cruz-friendly publication either, by the way. Like, it's not like I'm saying the Daily Wire coming out and saying, well, okay, guys, gang, you just got to support Ted Cruz and whatever he does, because, you know, he's a friend of one of our programmers, and... Okay, we, we're, we're friends of Ted Cruz over here. It's, it's not like we're going to that. We're going with Newsweek, who has been pretty brutal to Ted Cruz over the, uh, over the days. But from Newsweek, Ted Cruz accused of flying to Cancun amid Texas power outages as photo goes viral. From Dara Roche. Senator Ted Cruz has been accused of traveling to Cancun, Mexico, amid the ongoing crisis in Texas where millions have been left without power or heat in the freezing temperatures. Photos circulating on social media overnight appeared to show the senator at an airport and on an airplane. The idea that Cruz and his family had flown to Mexico soon spread on Twitter. However, Cruz's office had not been con uh, confirmed any travel plans to Cancun at the time of writing, and Newsweek could not independently verify the claim that he was at an airport or flying on Wednesday. This did not stop many social media users accepting that Cruz had left the country while his state struggles in the major crisis. Just confirmed, Senator Ted Cruz and his family flew to Cancun tonight for a few days at a resort they visited before, tweeted former MSNBC anchor David Schuster. Cruz seems to believe there isn't much for him to do in Texas for the millions of fellow Texans who remain without electricity slash water and are literally freezing. Schuster shared a photo of Cruz in an airplane, but it's not clear when the picture was taken and the journalist offered no further evidence that the senator had flown to Mexico yesterday. So, and... I don't know. I, got a, I have a couple problems with this. I'm going to be completely fair with it. Um, I mean, I'm looking at some of the photos here. First off, given the temperatures that are in Texas right now, I'm looking at the photos here and realizing that, yes, most people in Texas aren't really prepared to have the cold weather like they supposedly have over there. But, I mean, I've traveled in the winter. In fact, I've only ever flown in the winter. The two times that I've taken an airplane to and from somewhere, it's always been in the winter. And honestly, the people are in the terminal, all bundled up. And I don't see any winter weather gear on anybody in these photos. So that raises a few questions for that. Now, once again, it's Texas. I mean, you know, light spring kind of stuff, but not the winter stuff, especially for the weather that they have going on here. Um... There are people that are doubting that this is actually Cruz himself. So, I don't know. But this has gone off and taken off. And without a confirmation from Cruz's office, I can't come off and say whether this is Ted Cruz and whether he's in Cancun or not. I really can't. So, we'll see what happens off here. I'm sure that this will be talked about the entire time today. But we will see. But hey, you can't give up that juicy story. So... All right, we got to head on out of here. I've got to go see if I can go pick up my truck. I threw the water pump yesterday, and uh, the shop that uh, was doing it uh, gave me a call while I was on the air here. So I'll go figure out what the voicemail is off of that, and we'll get on to that. But we'll be back here definitely tomorrow for some more contemporary and some more fun with, uh, with fun kind of things that are going on here. We'll see what happens with this, and we'll see if we get some confirmation on the Ted Cruz story as well. Plus, if you're lurking right now, get that last-minute message in so I remember to read your name at the end of the show to thank you for coming in and hanging out with us. So we will see you then. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.